Life Audio. Hey friends, Heather Creekmore here. I'm glad you're listening to the Compare to You show today. Today, my guest is my friend, Melissa Johnson. Melissa is a marriage and family therapist. She's a certified spiritual director. She teaches a course at Bethel University in St. Paul, Minnesota. And she's the author of a brand new book called Soul Deep Beauty, Finding Our True Earth in a World That Demands Flawless. I think you're really going to appreciate my conversation with Melissa today. We talk all about really redefining beauty and why beauty needs to be redefined. So we go to a lot of great places. I think you're really going to enjoy it. I'm glad you're here. I'm glad you're listening. Hey, don't forget, we are so close to launch time for my brand new online course and signature group coaching program. I am going to tell you all about it in an episode of the show that's coming up in a couple weeks. But for today, if you just can't wait, go to improvebodyimage.com. And you can find out everything you need to know about getting ready to be part of this exciting new online course and group coaching program coming this September. Now let's get to today's show. Welcome to Compare to Who, the podcast to help you make peace with your body so you can savor God's rest and feel his love. If you're tired of fighting body image the world's way, Compare to Who is the show for you. You've likely heard lots of talk about loving your body, but my goal is different. Striving to fall in love with stretch marks and cellulite is a little silly to me. Instead, I want to encourage you and remind you with the truth of scripture that you are seen, you are known, and you are loved no matter what your size or shape. Here, the pressure is off. If you're looking for real talk, biblical encouragement, and regular reminders that God loves you and you're not alone, you've come to the right place. I hope you enjoy today's show and hey, tell a friend about it. Melissa Johnson, thanks so much for being on the Compared to Who show today. Thank you so much, Heather. It's such a gift to be here. Well, I had the pleasure of working with you on a little project, the Losing the Lies for Lent <laughs> group that we had. I think I think we started a good, um, there's posse, like date me if I say that word. <laughs> but we had a good little gang going, don't you think? Yes, yes. Yeah. And it's so fun to kind of stay connected with everyone. And I don't know, we'll see what else we have coming down the pike too. It sounds like we might have some, some things coming up too. Yeah. So for those of you who didn't get to participate. Melissa, myself, and probably some other names and faces you'd recognize a lot of other women that I've had on the show. We got together and we did like a what was a 40 day, however many weeks that is seven week series, eight week series on Lent. And just a lot of the lies that we've believed from diet culture on Lent. It was really awesome. So Look for that next year, Lenten season, because it was it was really good. But I am happy that you're here today. We're going to talk mm. about beauty standards. You've got a brand new book out, all the things. And I can't wait to dig into it all. But would you first, please, just share your story with us. Tell us how you got to a place where you're crazy like I am talking about <laughs> body image and diet stuff in a public way, right? This is secret right. stuff. It's it's only the, the few that talk about this stuff out loud. So tell us how you got mm-hmm. here, Melissa. Yeah, yeah, no, thank you, Heather. And so unplanned too. Sometimes mm-hmm. I think like, how, how did I get here? Um, so yeah, so I was working as a marriage and family therapist about 10, nine, nine, 10 years ago when I, um, 
was working with my own therapist as well. And she let me know that she felt that my relationship with food and exercise had gotten a bit out of control Mm -hmm. to an unhelpful place. She said it in a much more gracious, (laughs) therapeutic way, but that was basically the basic message. And she let me know that she felt that her level of care that she was providing was not to the point that I was needing for my symptoms. And I was thinking like symptoms of what? And as it turns out, she let me know, you know, that I, I did have an eating disorder and it had gotten to the point where I was needing some additional support. So it was kind of this back and forth that I talk about in the book. Um, and what eventually happened is I ended up uh, entering intensive eating disorder treatment and pausing my my work as a therapist in mm-hmm. order to undo these lies around food and body image and exercise and ulti- ultimately my worth um, mm-hmm. as a woman in the in this culture. And so that basically took us about a year ish um that i that i had to pause and undo some of the lies and um, can i pause you yeah yeah go ahead how did she know cuz you weren't there to talk about food and exercise mm. were you like was it like i um, i just think someone listening today is probably like how did she mm-hmm. figure that out i mean i know there's criteria for diagnosing totally. this stuff but was yeah. it just so much a part of you that it was it's just like your food rules were coming out in conversation or how did, how'd she find it out? That's such a good question. I'm trying to think back now. Um, you know, I think so. So just to say a little bit about kind of how my, my eating disorder was showing up and why also, I, I think it was, I mean, I'm sure denial had a, a place in there as well, but my point in the book is that a lot of these messages are so the water we swim in mm-hmm. and a lot of them were, I would say like kind of orthorexic type narr- narratives, which is this idea who, for those who might be new to the term, it's, um, you know, it's not a DSM diagnosis yet, orthorexia. However, it's well known in the eating disorder field. And it's basically this obsession with healthy eating or quote, clean eating. Mm-hmm. And so that has, or at that time, and I think still is so upheld as like this, there's a, a mor- morality around it. It's the standard for health. Um, it, 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 I thought I was trying to do it right, so to speak. And so for me, I think that's why I had been such a camouflage issue. But I'm trying to think back to my conversations with my, my therapist at that time. And I'm, you know, perhaps it was the, the time that I was spending working out or, um, perhaps, some of the, uh, the food rules that I had around, you know, what I couldn't eat. And, um, I think the list kind of continued to diminish. And I'm sure she was a savvy therapist who would pick up on, on things and then yeah. probably dig a little bit deeper. Um, and, and so I don't remember exactly, you know, what it was that she, um, picked up on, but I'm, I'm quite certain that it would be my obsession. Or, I would say obsessive behaviors around exercise, rigidity around exercise and food rules, what I would and wouldn't eat. Um, and probably the anxiety that I had around certain foods and eating certain foods. Yeah. Does, does that speak to your question a little yeah. bit? Yeah. Yeah. I think so. I was just, you know, having gone through counseling myself, you know, I don't think that's something I ever brought up in those early days of sure. counseling. Cause you know, if you don't know you have a problem. You're not going for that problem, right? Yeah. You're going for all these other things in your life. So I was, I was just curious how she kind of sniffed mm-hmm. that out for you. But, but please go ahead with your story. So, so about, so you went into treatment. Yeah, yeah, and and just also perhaps Heather, maybe I had like my own inclination. Maybe I had asked questions about it. I, I'm, um, 
and I actually knew, now I'm thinking about this therapist, I knew that she had had a history of an eating disorder. And so I wonder if like deep in me, I knew like, hmm, just, there was, I, I'm guessing there was a question there since I did mm-hmm. seek her out because I did know yeah. that about her. Yeah. Um, but yeah, in terms of my story, so I, so, so in the midst of this treatment setting, I started to notice that the things that I was believing and struggling with in treatment and I was being told our disordered thoughts associated with an eating disorder. I was like, well, wait a second. Like my peers, my friends, commercials, they're all teaching this. They're all believing this. And I started to see this veil that we have over our hearts and our eyes around beauty, around food, around exercise in our culture. And I started to see how it was suffocating me, but also the women around me, whether or not they had an eating disorder disordered eating or not. Uh, it was depleting life. And so I started to really question like, well, what are we believing about beauty? And I actually think that the cultural beliefs that we have are toxic for our soul. And coming out of treatment then, I, I also started to see, I think, like the spiritual uh, ramifications of this. And, uh, you know, I believe that our souls, when I think talk about soul care, I think that it's like multifaceted, you know, physical, emotional, spiritual, relational, cognitive. And so I think that these things are impacting like every facet of who we are, every facet of our souls. And I coming out of treatment, I, I realized like I could like not, not say something about this. Like I, I had to speak up and say like, Hey guys, I think we're being brainwashed here when it comes to beauty and it's actually killing us. And, and I would say that literally in, in some ways, actually in, in treatment, but also I would say killing our souls in, in other ways. And so coming out of there, I, I had this, this book idea. And honestly, like I, it was not what I was thinking. My, my, it was my dad who was like, Hey, I feel, would you ever be open to writing a book? And I was like, I, I'm like the last person right now to write a book. Um, but it did actually like plant this tiny seed. And I started to get angry toward the end of treatment. Like we are being sold this broken brand of beauty or this, this false, um, bill of goods around beauty. And it's, it is not good for us. We'll hear more of Melissa's story right after this quick break. Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Realize I need to have a start this platform around this, uh, which I'm an introvert and that was not like what I wanted to do. But my husband's like, Melissa, it can be about, it doesn't need to be about like you upholding you, but it can be about a message. And I was like, okay, I can get around this idea of redefining beauty. And so I started Impossible Beauty, which is about redefining beauty as the life of God at work in us and among us. And then um, 
kind of the the book had come before the the um I had done the the manuscript for the book before the podcast so I started to interview people around um these broken ideas around beauty but also kind of fleshing out this new definition of beauty of the life of God at work in us and among us and I've said this a couple times but I just think it's so true like I could live the rest of my life having conversations around the life of God at work in us and among us and mm-hmm. talking to different people about like how how has that shown up in your life and broadening our hearts and our minds around that kind of beauty that actually helps us thrive versus this societal ideas around beauty that lead to shame and insecurity. Yeah, I love that so much. I love the, that you use the word toxic too, mm. because I think as I talk to coaching clients, a sentiment I will hear is something like, I kind of want both. Mm. Like I mm. want to be culture's definition of beautiful. And I want to be God's definition of beautiful. Like, I just want both together. And, you know, we have conversations about idolatry and I talk about a lot of those kind of concepts. Like that's, that's kind of my bent, but it, it really isn't possible, right? Like we always want to elevate the one over the other. And it's normally not like God's definition or mm-hmm. the death, the mm-hmm. beautiful definition you're using of beauty that gets elevated because like you said, of all the pressure around us to define beauty in this really set way. So I, I love, I love thinking about it as toxic. It's like just a little pit of poison in the whole batch of brownies <laughs> yeah. enough to kill you. Right. Yeah. 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 That's so, yeah. Very well said. Yeah. So let's, let's kind of dig into that a little bit. Like, what is this toxicity? Like, what is this definition of beauty, standard of beauty? Like, like, what is the bucket of that that we are seeing, that we are believing? Where does it come from? Like, how can you help us help enlighten that for us? Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So I can say a little bit about like where that standard comes from and then why it's toxic. <laughs> if awesome. that, did that. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so, you know, I think we could probably have like a two hour episode on where our beauty standards come from. And so I'll give a nod to a couple places and then, um, yeah, we'll start there. So one thing that has been fascinating has been kind of unearthing some of the early roots of advertising in America. And I'm not sure. Are you familiar with this? I see you nodding. Uh Yeah. Okay. So so. I think uh, I know where you're going. I love it. Yeah. Yes. And uh, so, you know, in the 1920s, 1930s, we had the father of modern advertising, um, Edward Bernays, who was actually, I believe he was the the nephew of um, Freud. And so he knew about this idea of like our unconscious and our unconscious desires. And so before 1920s and 1930s, advertising was really geared toward logic. Like, I don't know, the shaving cream is better because it like lathers better or something like that. It was very based on our logic What was, is what was being played to. But Bernays realized like, oh, no we can actually play toward the insecurities and desires in order to sell people's people products. And so that became the new bent of American advertising and it became incredibly successful. I think like he led the tobacco industry or like not the industry, but the tobacco um, company and Procter and Gamble, Cartier, a lot of big mainstream advertising um, 
campaigns. And so what I started to see is, you know, when we are being sold an image of beauty, we are being told, as Jean Kilborn says, who we are and who we want to be. Mm-hmm. So it's not just a product. It's sell- They're selling an idea. Usually it's happiness or, you know, being carefree, being socially acceptable. And so what has been marketed to us is the certain kind of, quote, beauty that is, again, to quote Jean Kilborn, absolute flawlessness. And so we have come to link this idea of being flawless with being happy, um, again, being fulfilled, uh, having so many friends. Um, and I think that has actually become toxic because it, what it has done is created a very narrow brand or narrow type of beauty. And so, you know, I think, I think we've gotten better at this, but I would say it had, I don't know exactly when when we started to notice this, but the Eurocentric nature of beauty, you know, the blonde, blue-eyed beauty, um, but also thinness is hugely part of American beauty. Um, and it's gotten thinner. Um, our models are... Um, I have one study that talks about how models are 20% um, underweight, whereas the diagnostic criterion for anorexia nervosa would be 15% underweight. So... Um, thinness, but thinness to a point that is not healthy. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think it's like the average is like 5% of uh, American females would actually naturally be uh, meet the the criterion for the quote thin ideal. Mm-hmm. Um, and so we have this very narrow version of beauty that we are literally being sold and like billions of dollars are being poured into these visuals. And these visuals are also coming at us at a very rapid rate. Um, there is this documentary called The Illusionists that names that by, they estimated by the year 2020, uh, we would be at the point of media saturation where 80% of our waking hours, we would be uh, viewing some kind of media. And I spoke to Elena Rossini who created that and um, wrote that and produced that um, documentary about a month ago. And she said that she thinks we're past that, past 80% of our waking hours being exposed to some kind of media. Um, And then we put filters and social media into the mix. And so this idea of absolute flawlessness is no longer just in print magazines. Perhaps when you and I were young, you know, you had airbrushed images, but now it's um, not just celebrities, it's our best friends. It's our own image that we are being, like that we're comparing ourselves with. And um, this shocked me. It was like sometime last year, I heard about plastic surgeons who are um, talking about people coming in wanting to look like their Instagram filters, mm-hmm. um, which just blows my mind. Uh, and then we bring diet culture into the mix. Um, so diet culture tells us that, you know, thinness is uh, kind of in line with if if you want to have like high social status, um, morality, health, beauty, your body has to look like this. And usually it involves some kind of body reshaping or weight loss. And so we have this, uh, like so many different streams of influence. Um, but I think a lot of it, uh, has, you know, I think the influence has just become so incredible and so huge because of our inundation of media, um, in recent years. And so, um, the other piece that I want to talk about though is, you know, why is that toxic for us? Why is that not helpful? And, you know, one thing that I talk about in the book is this idea of shame. And I, I do want to go ahead and quote, um, Brene Brown's definition of shame because 
I think shame can be so kind of nebulous sometimes, but she gives this definition. So shame is an intensely painful feeling or experience of believing that we are flawed and therefore unworthy of love and belonging. So that's her quote. And, you know, I think ultimately as humans, we have this deep desire to be known deeply and loved deeply and then do that um, towards others as well, um, have that be bi-directional. And what shame does is it goes to the core of our ability to be loved and to belong. And it says like, no, you're not good enough for that. And so I think what's so evil about this is it goes to the core of who we are. Like, no, you're not good enough because your body doesn't look like X, Y, or Z or your skin or your wrinkles or, you know, whatever it is. For some reason, these advertisements and these this inundation of, quote, flawless beauty tends to Um, and I would say purposefully so oftentimes, uh, elicit shame. Because again, if we can elicit shame, then we can probably buy the product or the diet or the cream, whatever it is. And so in terms of its toxicity, it is increasing shame, which we know from um, Dr. Kurt Thompson, who's a psychiatrist and an author out of Washington, D.C. area. He talks about how uh, shame actually... uh, it actually disintegrates uh, within and between neural networks. And so there is this uh, unhelpful impact on our literal brains, but also, I don't know if you remember these segments back in, and I shouldn't like, I, like it's, it's, it's laughable, but it's also so sad. Like these segments back in, I don't know, like people magazine or something. I don't remember who did it, but I think multiple outlets did it actually. It's like who wore it better. Mm-hmm. Um, like it also, this kind of beauty also pits us against each other as yeah. women. Um, and also there's this sociological or sociocultural term called fat talk where we actually, you know, talk about our flaws and then maybe another woman will, will say like, oh, you think that's bad. Um, you should see my whatever X, Y, or Z. And we do this out of a, a desire to, you know, connect with each other and make the other person not feel so bad about whatever perceived flaw they were talking about. But we are perpetuating this broken kind of beauty that is actually disintegrating us relationally, but also increasing shame. Um, and also I would say that it is toxic because it, how it impacts our relationship with our bodies. Um, I think when we are given these prescriptions for quote, beauty and quote, health, which usually involves weight loss or some kind of body reshaping, there's going to be some kind of tweak around probably eating less or not eating some things. And I know for me in my own experience, what that caused me to do is actually shut down to my body cues. Like, oh no, I'm not hungry. I'm I'm just thirsty. Or no, I don't want something with sugar. I just want water. Um, when no, like I, part of my recovery has been tapping into those body cues and realizing like, no, this is beautiful. Like God has created us with a body and this is part of um, being an integrated being. Um, and so those are some of the ways that um, some of the places where I think beauty standards have come from, but then also why it's they're so toxic for our well-being. Yeah, absolutely. That's so good. Yeah, I, I call the fat talk like who's the most hideous ogre? You know, like it's <laughs> because that's really that's what we do, right? And that's I get it's supposedly humility, but that's not not really. I don't think what humility is. But it's like, oh, I feel so bad about this body part. Oh, don't worry about you. Look at me with this bad bad body part and. And yeah, it, it doesn't actually help anyone, does it? I mean, right. no, you know, exactly. playing who's the most hideous ogre or, mm-hmm. or, or even 
this was my big thing when I first started speaking was saying to women, it's what's on the inside that counts. Like, so if a woman comes up to you and she's like, oh, I just feel so lousy about this body part. And you say, well, it's what's on the inside that counts. Like she just feels worse. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yes. I mean, so, so it felt like and can feel like, I think that there's like, it's just awkward for women. Like, yeah. oh, I know that hmm. can't be right, but I know like, oh, I just don't know how to communicate around it. I don't know what to say when another woman complains. And, you know, it feels like there's all this maybe in the back of your brain, like recognition of, of the issues. And I think we maybe, maybe internally like sense the dissonance of like, oh, that's fake. Oh, that's mm-hmm. not real. That's filtered. <laughs> but yeah, like our, in our hearts, I think sometimes we still want it. Don't we? Well, and it's so normalized too. You know, we think like, what's wrong with me that everyone looks plastic and I'm seem to have pores, you know, like, and so I think you're so right. I think that that's what, uh, and and that's why I call it a brainwashing. And I think some, I don't know if if that is unsettling to some people, but I really think that the, uh, Elena Rossini calls it visual pollution, the visual pollution that we are, um, receiving or, you know, um, being party to every day, it, it impacts us. And I think that that's exactly like what, what you're maybe getting at is like, no, that this actually is impacting our souls and, um, in, in a very deep way and making us feel less than. And, you know, I think that, I think that I'm hoping actually that this will actually, um, externalize some of this shame and for some people and be like, no, actually the problem isn't me. The problem is mm-hmm. our messed up, uh, standard of beauty, but also our messed mm-hmm. up, um, media culture and, and pop mm-hmm. culture. Uh, yeah. And where we're at with technology these days. Yeah. Well, and just thinking about standard of beauty, like I've made the joke a bunch of times. I was a fitness instructor in the early 2000s helping every woman lose their butt. No Mm. one wanted a butt in the early 2000s. You didn't want anything round. You wanted nothing. And now, like now the trend is as the time of this recording, right? Because it'll change again. I have to say that. Like now everyone wants a a bigger, rounder butt. And in some ways it is, that is, you know, I've seen lots of changes, but in some ways that's one that I just can't get over. I'm like, I just don't understand it because I was programmed that you didn't want a butt. (laughs) And it's it's just always changing, right? And just even thinking about, so the Barbie movie is out now as they're recording this. And I was thinking about this as I was driving this morning to run some errands. Like, I don't know that the blonde ideal is the ideal like it was Mm. in the 90s and Mm -hmm, 80s. Because, and I done a little research around this, like over half of the Gen Z, um, I want to say kids, but some of them are in their 20s. <laughs> but like over half of Gen Z is biracial. Mm-hmm. So the blonde ideal is not going to like, no one's going to meet the blonde ideal, exactly. you know? Exactly. And, and so it's got to keep changing. Like it's, yeah. we have to keep looking different because I think they do make it where it's like, it's like not attainable, but they've got to make it where it's a little bit like where you could feel like maybe you could get there. 
right? I, I think that's that's the game they play. Yeah. <laughs> and yeah. and it's it boy, it's it's a dangerous thing to keep chasing, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I you know, that's another point that I try to make in in the book is you know, chapter one is called the race to nowhere. Mm-hmm. Because I think we I think shame can make us feel like, okay, what can I fix? What can I change? Because it feels so pivotal, I think, to our, that desire to belong and be loved. It can feel um, like uh, just very panicky, almost like, you know, like, well, what, what can I change? And, and I think what I want people to see is, no, this is purposefully a race to nowhere. And actually, this brings to mind a quote um, by, there's this assistant professor of psychiatry at Harvard, His name's Paul Hamburg, and he says this, the media markets desire, and by reproducing ideals that are absurdly out of line with what real bodies really do look like, the media perpetuates a market for frustration and disappointment. Its customers will never disappear. Mm. And so they really have created, they being corporations, they being marketing executives, this race to nowhere. And I I really would love us to see that. Mm. Um, And and when we do see that, I think um, it, it gives us some power to actually define beauty in a way that is is more authentic and true uh, than what we're being handed. Yeah, I love that. Will you say your definition of beauty one more time? And then yeah. how do we start seeing the world in that way, Melissa? Like, how do we change our minds about what beauty really is? Yes. Yep. So the definition is the life of God at work in us and among us. And I have to give a little background on where that definition comes from. Um, so I, so simultaneously, while I was doing intensive eating disorder treatment, I was going to class in the evenings um, for spiritual formation. And so during the day, I would have these, you know, all of these groups and uh, et cetera on shedding ideas around false ideas around beauty and food from our culture. And then in the evenings I would go home and I would read about things like grace and shame and about the Christian mystics love for God. And so it was this really interesting pairing. And one of the theologians that I learned about or read his book called The Dance, or maybe it's called The Great Dance. I can't remember. I should know that. Um, but his name is Baxter Kruger. And he talks about this idea of how in the Trinitarian uh, union, there is this dance of love. Uh, and, and we see this dance playing out all around us. We see it like in children's laughter or like the love between a parent and a child. And so as I started to see the broken nature of cultural beauty and how it was disintegrating me and so many other people and literally like the disintegrating nature of it. Like if you follow that path, it is going to lead toward disintegration. But I also started to see that more so as, as true beauty, like, wow, there is this like energetic love being played out within me as God is like working in me, but also in the people around me in the world around me, like even in nature about like, I I started to more recently have learned how like nature ministers to us. Like it actually like calms our bodies and reduces levels of cortisol. Like the, the dance, like the dance of love, this energetic dance of love is around us all the time. And so I started to see like, wow, I actually think that that is truly beautiful. And I started to read like Julianne of Norwich and her encounters with God and how huge and expansive God's love is and how she experiences God's love. And 
I started to realize like, wow, that is like a mind blowing beauty. And I actually started to recognize that 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 is like true authentic beauty that actually integrates us and draws us toward wholeness and union and unity. And so where I we see that kind of beauty, I, I would say that, you know, I, th- I think it's having this um, uh, almost like a posture of presence and noticing the world around us with our five senses. Like, where am I seeing this like true beauty or this union, this, this dance of love being uh, played out all around me? Because I think it's it's like God's at work all the time in this like very dynamic way. And I think even we could like pray for that too, because it you know, I think this has been slowly as this has become my definition. I, I, I'm like, oh, wow, that, that is actually beauty at work as well. Um, and asking God, like, for eyes to see this, like, to see the world through that kind of lens. Yeah. And, uh, yeah. Yeah. So those are a couple ways that yeah. maybe we can walk into that. That's good. Yeah. Well, I'm, you use the word disintegration and, and, and I, I know what you mean. I feel like someone listening may not fully grasp that. Yeah. yeah. But I think to put that in a different way, right? It's mm-hmm. it's we have to stop objectifying ourselves, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Like we're we're we become integrated as like my body is me and I am my body, and yeah. and there is a a beautiful that's the way we're created, right? Like we weren't totally. created to be separate from our bodies. We were created to love, serve, and worship God in the body He gave us. Yeah, and yeah, just I love. I love the concept of trying to be able to see ourselves and other people mm-hmm. in that integrated whole way. And, and I think we already do, don't you? I mean, I, I feel like there's this, there's this little bit of a disconnect between there's some people that we are tempted to objectify, right? Mm-hmm. And then there's some people where you're like, it doesn't matter like what they look like. Like, I just know I love them because of the sweet spirit within them and I enjoy spending time with them. And then people maybe we don't know or people on screens or on, you know, on Instagram that we don't know, it's easier for us to objectify them and forget like, oh, they're whole integrated people too. I, I don't know. Thoughts on yeah. that? Yeah. Yeah. And I can clarify my, my use of disintegration as well. So like, yes, definitely like the, this integration of like my, my mind and my body and being this like whole sacred being. Um, but also I'm thinking about the vision of Shalom. And what I mean by that is like the, the original, God's original plan for humanity that we see in the garden of Eden in the Bible. But then also I believe what God is working toward, um, you know, through, through Jesus in bringing us unity with us and the father and, um, and so we're working toward, I would say, like more of a shalom kind of vision uh, in the new heavens and the, the new earth, whatever that looks like. But I think cornerstone to that is this idea of unity, unity with God, unity with other people, unity with creation, I would even say. And so uh, w- what broken beauty or societal beauty does, um, like I mentioned, well, also within our brains, like we know about our brains that um, our brains work best. A healthy brain is an integrated brain within spheres. Um, and then also upper and lower brain. And so what I named earlier about, um, our, what shame does to our brain, uh, you know, broken beauty actually has a disintegrating neurological effect, but also within us and other people, like I mentioned, disintegration, um, with us and our bodies. And so I think, um, that is what I'm talking about when I'm talking about disintegration. So I wanted to make sure I unpack that a little bit for if there was any confusion around it. Um, but uh was there another part of your question? I'm so sorry. I like lost I lost it. 
I don't, I don't remember if there was. <laughs> it's okay. Well, hey, as we wrap up today, tell us, tell us all about the book. And is there anything else we need to know about the, the book as we, as listeners consider checking it out? Yeah. Yeah. So the book is called Soul Deep Beauty, Fighting for Our True Worth in a World Demanding Flawless. And so what the book is, is it, you know, it walks through my own journey of intensive eating disorder treatment, but really what I see that is it's like a, that's the vehicle to invite readers to kind of walk the same journey of redefining beauty. And so part one is this journey of awakening, of kind of awakening to the, what we're contending with in our society and the lies basically kind of like what's behind the curtain on these lies and where this is coming from. And I really want to create awareness of like this shame that you're feeling, this this is there for a reason and it's there for on purpose. Uh, and I really would love to invite other readers in and other people in on kind of my own journey of awareness so that they might also see where these lies are coming from and how they actually are not good for our souls. And then part two um, invites readers into this new idea of beauty, new definition of beauty, but also then um, new ways that I started to relate to my body, new ways that I started to um, see community and relationship with other women. And um, ultimately within this, this lens of um, an invitation to how redefining beauty actually opens us up to these new, um, these other shifts that I have had in my own life. And so I, I do see this journey of redefining beauty as not just, you know, something for me. I really see this as like a communal journey. And so I, I really would uh, be so honored if people would read the book and join me in, in redefining beauty. Love it. Love it. And tell everyone where they can connect with you, listen to your podcast and find the book. Of course, I know it's everywhere books are sold, but if you have a preferred place. Yeah, no, thank you. Uh, so the podcast is called Impossible Beauty and the web address there is just impossible-beauty.com. And so the podcast is there as well as an Apple podcast um, and Spotify, Amazon Music. I'm like losing track of all the places that mm -hmm. it's at, but it's in most places. And then... Um, and then the book, yeah, I have it on my website, impossiblebeauty.com. Um, but yeah, it's otherwise it's at wherever books are sold or your favorite independent local bookstore is great as well. Awesome. Well, Melissa, thanks so much for being on the Compared to You show today. Mm, thank you so much, Heather. And thank you for watching or listening today. I hope something today has helped you stop comparing and start living. The Compared to You podcast is part of the Life Audio Podcast Network. For more great Christian podcast content, visit lifeaudio.com. Before you go, if something from today's show blessed you, may I ask a huge favor? Leave a review on your favorite platform. Seeing your five-star reviews is a huge encouragement to me. Not sure how to do it? You can go to comparetowho.me slash podcast, scroll to the bottom, and you'll find all the information. And while you're at comparetowho.me, check out some of the more than 500 articles on there about body image, comparison, all the things you're thinking about. Plus, you can find out more about my books, or you can grab a time for a free 10-minute call to see if coaching 
is right for you. I'm so honored to be a part of your journey out of body image and comparison frustration. And I can't wait to hear how God is working to set you free. Hi, I'm Beckett Cook, host of The Beckett Cook Show. I lived as a gay man in Hollywood for many, many years until I had a radical encounter with Jesus 13 years ago. Since then, I've gotten my master's degree in seminary and published a book called A Change of Affection. On my podcast, The Beckett Cook Show, I sit down with fascinating Christian scholars and thinkers to address the lies of the culture and bring the biblical truth to bear on those lies. To start listening now, go to lifeaudio.com or search for The Becca Cook Show on your favorite podcasting platform.